Hi, my name is Fiona, and I'm a mother, a birth keeper, a teacher, a body worker, a doula, and so much more. Hi, I'm Deborah, and I am a mother, a humanitarian worker, and a student doula. And I'm very passionate about storytelling and about everything that has to do with birth and motherhood. I am a woman's mentor because there's so many things that I do and bring together. Um, for women on their journey from being pregnant to becoming mothers and and all the life transitions that women go through. So in this podcast, we are going to bring together women who share their journeys into motherhood with us. And we want women to share the journey, the doubts, their fears, what they've learned along the way and their memories. Each woman is unique and has a story to tell. We hope that you love the stories as much as we do. Our goal is to inspire, to inform, and to empower. Welcome to the Becoming Mother podcast. Hi, Theoni. Hi, Deborah. <laughs> nice to see you again. Yes, nice to see you. So this is very exciting. Uh, it is our first episode uh, of the Becoming Mother podcast. And this first episode is going to be very special because we are going to interview you. And although we know each other, um, I know very little of your story. Uh, so it will be a first for myself also. But I'm very excited for our audience to learn more about who you are because you are going to be uh, one of the hosts of this podcast. So maybe we can start with if you can tell us your name, your age, where you live um, and what you do briefly, and then we can dive more into that. And who um, is uh, your family composed of? Lovely. So my name is Fiona, and I am 48 years old this year. I have a son who's 15 this year, and I have a wonderful man in my life who we've been together almost 10 years. I really go about mentoring women. So over the years, you know, my whole career, uh, my whole life's journey has really been about women and mothers, which will unfold as we talk. Um, but really for the last 27 years, I've been at births, I've massaged women using aromatherapy first and then kahuna massage. I've done craniosacral therapy, NLP, uh, the hypnobirthing, which I've now created as my own embodied hypnobirthing. Uh, the yoga, which I've done for, for over two decades. Uh, so there's lots that I've brought together uh, to, so that women feel supported, so that women feel confident, so that women feel um, they can really put their best foot forward as they step into motherhood. Um, and that's why we've birthed, you and I have birthed this Becoming Mother um, uh, podcast is to share those stories with women. Um, and stories are so powerful. Uh, so I'm young yeah, and I'm really, I'm really glad uh, to be here with you doing this. Yes, and because I, I know you and you, you were my doula, uh, I'm very interested to, to know more about your journey, uh, your, your own journey into motherhood. Did you always know that you wanted to become a mother? Yes, you know, I actually wanted four kids. That was always my oh. thing. When I was little, I wanted four <laughs> children. Uh, and I was really, really thought that's what I would have. And I ha ended up only having one of my own. Um, but I realize now, um, being a bit older, I wouldn't be able to do what I've done with my life so far if I'd had more than one child. I just, I wouldn't have the capacity to give him what he needed and to give myself, my clients, what, what was required. Um, so I'm very grateful to have had a, a son. Um, you know, for me, getting pregnant was a little bit unusual than um, other other people. Um, and as much as I would love to share that from my heart with the audience, at the moment, I'm not able to share that um, because the story is my story and it's Zach's story and it's his story of how he came to being. And this morning, um, I was chatting to him about, you know, I'm doing this podcast. He says, yes, mom, I know you're doing the podcast. Um, and, you know, I'm always talking about births and things. And, you know, at his age, now he's a bit grossed out by something. So I just don't go there with him. And then I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to be interviewed. Deborah's going to interview me. And we're going to talk about 
your birth and how you came to be and how much are you comfortable with and how much are you not. So we had a little chat and and even before we had had a chat, I'd realized that there's a few things that because of his age and his story, um, he's got to be ready for the world to know that. Um, so yeah, so for, forgive me for, for only sharing some of it, but it was it was not easy for me to get pregnant. They said that I had all sorts of problems. I had endometriosis. Uh, they then checked my SH, uh, my SHF hormone. They said I was in early menopause at 31. Um, they wanted me to have a laparoscopy uh, for the endometriosis. And I was like, you know what? Any woman over the age of 30 has some sort of endometriosis. I'm not prepared to have surgery if I don't need it. That's just who I am. And then they said, well, then I need to have an HSG x-ray. Now, HSG x-ray is where they put a speculum in and then they put iodine in the cervix um, so that they can see the shape of the uterus and the tubes while they take an x-ray. Oh, and wow. yeah, so it's quite, a, it's quite invasive. It was very intense. It was very uncomfortable. And they just kept putting more and more iodine in them. And I was like, sure, this guy, this is really intense. And they just kept putting more and more in. Um, anyway, eventually, I then I went home and I was, it was really uncomfortable. It was really uncomfortable. And I've got a, a, a odd-shaped heart amongst all the other odd things that I have in my life. I've got an odd-shaped heart. And if, you ha if I have any gynecological procedures, I need to take antibiotics, which I also don't normally take. So I took these antibiotics. They also gave me pain tablets. And I literally slept for eight hours after this HSG x-ray. So it was really intense. And I've spoken to other women who've had it. And they've said, yeah, well, I passed out afterwards. And I, this, and I. So it's it's really invasive. Yeah. Sounds like it. Yeah. Uh, we got the results back and they said that basically I had blocked tubes. That at some point I must have had a, a pelvic uh, infection. I've got blocked tubes. The only way I'm going to have a baby is in vitro or adoption. And I was like, oh, my word. Really? This is Yeah. Crazy. How did you feel when they, they told you that? You know, part of me felt like, like, excuse my language, but this is bullshit. Like part mm -hmm. of me was like, I know my body and I do not have block tubes. But then there's the evidence, the evidence that we get, you know, holding my hands up in, you know, with inverted commas. Um, so I left it for a while and I thought, okay, let's just wait and let's just see how this unfolds. And then uh, about six months later, and in those six months, I started having very heavy, very painful periods, more than I've ever had in my life. I then went back to my gynecologist and she looked at the file and she said, look, yeah, from what I can see, it's not a it wasn't a technical issue. You look like you have block tubes. And I suggest you go back to the fertility clinic and they and, you know, check out what it could be. Anyway, the, the man that I went back to because I didn't go to the original guy because he was really rude and I don't want to mention names. But uh, we uh, then went back to another the other partner, and he he was the one who actually did the HSG X-ray, and he said to me, "Oh, you know what might have happened? Your tubes might have gone into spasm." And I was like, "Really? I've been telling Is that myself possible? I didn't even know that it was possible. I didn't know either. But the when he said hmm. it, I was like, exactly. My body was rejecting the dye, was rejecting being there." was uncomfortable so my body shut down and said actually i'm not allowing this stuff into my body very clever body um and so so then i was like okay and you know you don't need you the tubes don't need to be like huge you just need a little space for a little sperm to get through you know and one little egg to get pregnant you actually don't need a lot and then he said well while you're here i would like to do a scan so i said fine and as he did the scan he said you've got two fibroids so fibroids are little growths in the uterus. And he said one is one centimeter, one is one and a half centimeter. And he really recommends we do a, a hysteroscopy, not a hysteroscopy, myomectomy. Mm -hmm. uh, we do a myomectomy, which is basically a cesarean section, if you don't have a baby inside you, where it's to a remove, very... To remove the fibroids. To remove these two fibroids. Okay. And I was like, at that point in my life, I was like, I'm not prepared to have a scar that every time I pull down my underwear, I have a scar and I've got no child for it. Yeah. It was like, I'm not prepared to do that. Yeah. 
So I did my research and one in five, so 50% of women that have fibroids can get pregnant. So I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to take my chances here. And so then it was a journey and it was a real journey of, um, because I've got a meditation practice I have for many years, I started doing really surrender, focusing on surrender meditations. I took myself on a silent retreat. I had a magnet strapped to my chest. I did raw diets. I received my first kahuna massage. I found a homeopath that got my periods regular and painless in three weeks. I, so I did a lot of work um, in that time to really make space for this child. And uh, were you already into all those practices before or was this really the, the trigger? No, I w I'd been into yoga and meditation already. Um, I had been into eating well and healthy and holistically. Uh, the kahuna massage I'd heard about, but I hadn't ever been for one. So um, I went for my first kahuna. And I remember it was actually a friend that I'd known for many years, a man, and he, he did the massage. And, and I said to him, you know, I'm coming because, I, you know, they're saying I can't have a child. And, and I remember the massage was so beautiful. And I felt so held and so nurtured. And afterwards he said, there's nothing wrong with your body. You're going to make a baby just fine. And so <laughs> all this reassurance that I got along my journey, um, I realized that I, you know, that I can make a space for this child. It sounds like you all along, you had faith in your, in your own body that in spite of doctors telling you the contrary, you trusted your body and you knew you could have a child. And, you know, I'd, I dreamt of the child. I even did, you know, this, this would be, it could be another, you know, it could be a whole other story, but I'll touch on it gently or quickly is that I did a vision quest the year before I conceived as well. And a vision quest is when you go out into nature for 10 days um, and four of those days you're on your own in nature, no food, just water and with your, with you and your own stuff. And so that was also part of my preparation um, uh, of to become a mother. Uh, yeah, okay, we'll have it. to talk about yes. this more into details because it sounds fascinating. <laughs> yeah. And so, okay. and so I've all, I've, I think I've always been, and that's who I am, is that I, I'm, even though I'm a physical being, I am more rooted in the spiritual or in the non-physical. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's a, a strong belief that um, what I do comes through me. It's not me. It, it's what comes through me. Right. Mm. So eventually you did get pregnant because you, you have a son. <laughs> yes. So how, how old were you when, you when you got pregnant? I was 32 when I got pregnant. Uh -huh. And uh, how did you find out? Well, I wasn't sure. Am I pregnant? Am I not? Because I'd been doing the ovulation predictor kit and I was like, I'm not sure. Is this pregnant or not? And then I went to go visit a friend and the friend said, that's when you still had to hold your pee in to do the pregnancy test. So I had to hold my pee in and then I peed on it and she said, you are pregnant. I was like, no, I just I couldn't believe that I was. So the next day I went <laughs> for blood tests and uh, I was sitting there waiting. It was a very small lab. And they did the blood test and she was like, oh, does she want to be pregnant? I'm like, please just tell me. The suspense was like, you know, I've got to know. And she said, oh, no, I've got to print it out anyway. So she printed it. She put it in an envelope. I couldn't open that envelope quick enough. And there I saw positive. And I was like, wow. Like after all of this being told this and that and the other, um, it's positive. Amazing. And Yeah, and for any of us that have been pregnant, we also know how hard that is. That yes, it's positive, but then all the thoughts come of, oh, will I be able to? Am I going to be a good mother? I'm too crazy. I will I have money? Will I be able to? Will I blah blah blah? All of that stuff comes up. So you felt very overwhelmed. Oh yeah, it was all the feelings come, <laughs> and, and and then of course I had to tell my I had to tell my mom, um, and at the time. It was actually very auspicious. What happened is my mom told me, I said to her, mom, I've got news. And she said, well, I've also got news. So she told oh. me that she had a lump in her breast and needed to have chemotherapy and a mastectomy. And I told her, well, I'm pregnant. Oh, wow. So, was, so the, the two things happened on the same day. 
it was so it was absolutely crazy so i was going through this nausea while she was having chemotherapy and i went with her twice but i was like i actually couldn't i just couldn't it was too much for both of us at that time yeah so i yeah so i guided her through her her journey as she guided me through my journey so it was quite uh, it was quite amazing Wait, did you enjoy being pregnant you know i loved being pregnant i felt so embodied I, I, it's the most comfortable I've ever felt in my body. I felt like this gorgeous goddess. I just thought, I just couldn't believe how my body was able to expand and grow this baby and, and I was growing and it was absolutely amazing. So I felt that, again, that spiritual connection. But I think being in a, in a physical body on this earth plane it was very stressful. I, I sold my house. I decided to sell my house the month that I found out I was pregnant and we didn't have another house to go to. And then I, we moved in with my mom while I was pregnant. And then six weeks later, we moved again. So I moved twice in my pregnancy. So that was not, not the greatest thing to do while you're pregnant. But, you know, we often do that and people renovate and do all sorts of crazy things. Yes. You feel like you need to space. invest. And, yeah. Yeah. So interesting. So did you um, eventually move into your own place while you were pregnant before you, you had your baby? Yeah. So, so literally just before, I think it was August, we moved in and Zach was born at the end of September. He was due beginning of October. So yeah, so we managed to move in and, and get settled um, before he was coming. And how did you feel about giving birth? Were you nervous or were you excited? You know, I was so confident. I was so confident. I was so like, I've seen so many births. I've got this. I, I know it's going to be fine. But there was a part of me that really was scared of having a cesarean section. Yes. And, and that's, so you were already a doula when, when you had your baby. I'd done hundreds of births. I had my first birth I ever did was 21. And then... Um, Then, and Zach was born when I was 33. So I'd done hundreds and hundreds of births by then. And I'd even received two babies. <laughs> Did you have a birth plan? I had a birth plan. I had um, two friends that were going to be doulas for me. Um, I had everything. Yeah, I'd had everything organized. We had the pool set up at home. I was planning a home birth. Uh, we had done the dry run in the pool. I'd, I'd visualized, you know, having done the hypnobirthing, I'd, I knew exactly that's where I'm, how I'm going to birth. I could see it. Um, so the, the two things that I was really, uh, if you can say my intuition was out or whatever, or it was a surprise, is that I really thought I was having a, a girl child and not a boy child. So you didn't know before he was born that he was a boy? No, I, I kept, we kept it as a surprise. Uh, so I really thought it was a girl. And I remember going to a kinesiologist when I was 36 weeks and she said, um, I said, you know, is the child happy with its boys' names? Yes. The child likes its boys' names. Great. Is the child happy with the girls' names? No. And I was like, oh, we've got to find new girls' names. Meanwhile, realizing, hello, it's a boy. <laughs> <laughs> But I was like, so no, did you have now. a boy's name? Yes. No, I, when I did my vision quest, um, The one night you do an all night vigil and you stay up the whole night while you try to. And this voice said to me, your son's name is Zachary. And I was like, first of all, I'm not having a son. I'm having a daughter. And secondly, I will never call my child Zachary. What kind of name is that? You know? And of course, my son's name is Zachary. It was very clear when he was born and then I saw him. I was like, oh, it's Zachary. It was like so clear as I saw him. I was like, it's him. That's him. <laughs> And um, so uh, tell us about the birth. How, how did that go? So it was a full moon and uh, on the 25th of October, 2007. And I had this lovely big tummy. I had a lot of amniotic fluids. So I really was carrying a big, I had a lovely big tummy. And I remember looking up and seeing this beautiful full moon and thinking, oh, you know, it could be, I was 39 weeks and two days. And I thought, you know, it could be another three weeks. It could be tonight. Who knows when this baby's coming? And then we had what's cat. We had two cats at the time. And we had one cat who arrived and took one look at me. And this male cat, a ginger male cat, he had sat with me every morning when I did my meditation, every single morning while I was pregnant. Never before, never after. 
But while I was pregnant, he would sit with me. And he, he walked in. He knew. And he was not a talkative cat. He didn't talk a lot. He like never meowed. He walked in. He took one look at me and he started meowing and meowing and meowing and started walking around me in circles. And I was like, oh, my word. This means he was, the he was telling you the baby is coming. <laughs> because cats, cats can smell the pheromones. So they can tell, okay, there's something happening. Anyway, we did our normal routine, got into bed. Um, and then at about one o'clock, I needed to get up and pee, as you do when you are very pregnant. And I got up to pee and I peed and then I got back into bed and he was moving around the baby inside. He was moving around. I was like, and I, and I remember mentally saying to him, be careful. If you move around like that, you're going to break the waters. And there the waters went. Bonk. I jumped out of the bed very quickly because I didn't have a mattress protector. And the bathroom was very close by. And there was about a liter of water, clear fluid on the water, in, on the floor. And uh, I was like, oh, my word, the waters are broken. This is not what the plan was, but okay, the waters are broken. So it was very exciting because we knew now that the baby was coming, that, that in this country right. you need to have and you've got a certain amount of time that once the waters break, that you know, the baby needs to come, et cetera, et cetera. So I was like, oh, okay, fine. So we cleaned up the mess and I put a sanitary pad in because, of course, you're leaking fluid and uh, tried to sleep, put my, my hypnobirthing on and I spoke to my body and I said to my body, okay, we need surges, okay, we need contractions, expansions, we need to get this going, so please start. And then I told the baby, get into a good position. You know, we've said you need to be on the left, chin tucked in, and he'd been in every position but that position. So I said, you need to get into the right position and let's do this. So I don't know, probably, probably got going to bed at about two to start that whole process. And probably within the next 15 minutes, my body started having contractions. Within were, 15 minutes? Yeah, they were irregular, wow. but they were happening. And I literally breathed through them and worked through them. And there was, there's so much that goes on in a labor, as any laboring mom can tell you. There's so many thoughts that come up, so many sensations. And so I labored like that until about five in the morning. And then so I woke for up. How many, from how many hours were you in labor at that point? So probably about three hours. Okay. And then I woke my partner and I said, look, you need to start timing them because I, I'm not timing them. I need you to do that. So my partner started timing them and they were irregular. So it was eight minutes, three minutes, two minutes. Um, it was, yeah, that's how it was happening. So we did that for about an hour. And then I said, okay, I'm going to get up and bake a cake because, you know, that's what we do in early labor and we want to bake birthday cake. And as I got up, I felt this gush in, in, inside my body coming out of my body, something. And I was like, this feels weird. So I immediately went oh, to the okay. bathroom and I had a look and there was fresh meconium. <gasps> wow. Bright green poo. Clumps of And that's poo not a good sign. And it was clumps of poo coming out my vagina. It was not coming out and my you, mouth, it was coming out my vagina. And you knew what it was when you saw that. I knew because I'd seen it before. And I knew. I was like, okay, this is serious. My child has given me a very clear sign that you are not being born at home. I, I knew that immediately. So I immediately phoned the midwife. I'd actually phoned the midwife already. I'd already phoned to say, I'm, you know, I'm in labor. Come and check so that we can decide, uh, do I go for acupuncture? What do I need to do to get the contractions going? So then, of course, bright green poo. I phoned midwife again. Her husband answered and said, look, yeah, she's in the shower, but I will let her know. So I sat on the on the toilet waiting for it to all pass and talking to the baby and you know telling the baby we you've I've heard you I know that you're in distress for some, whatever reason and we are going to do whatever we need to and you know please move and etc because of course now it's a highly stressful situation and at that point were you still having contractions yeah, yeah I was still having contractions. Okay. And so the midwife probably arrived uh, just before seven and she said, okay, well, let's check what's happening. And she checked the heartbeat. Heartbeat was steady and absolutely fine. 
He was in the most perfect position, chin tucked in, lying on the left-hand side, ready for birth. She checked my cervix. She said, you're a lovely three to four centimeters. The cervix is really thin. Um, you're doing beautifully. So I was like, great. Amazing. But there's fresh meconium. Okay, so all the meconium had now come out by then. And she said, we need to play, uh, uh, phone the backup gynecologist and let her know um, so that we can decide what we're doing. Um, and the midwife was saying, well, hopefully we can have a vaginal birth in the hospital. But I knew, like I knew this is a clear sign. And if, if he hadn't given me the fresh meconium and we had had a little bit of fetal distress or a little bit of something, because it's me and because I had this relationship with the midwife and because I so wanted a home birth, we would have let that slide. We might have. I mean, we don't know because we didn't do that, but we might have. But this was a very clear sign of, I'm not okay. You need to get me the hell out of here. Mm -hmm. So we phoned, she phoned the backup gynae and the gynae says, you've got to come in for a cesarean section. Now the midwife that I, that was my midwife and that I worked with for many years, I, I, I don't think I've ever seen her cry. And she walked into my bedroom crying and she said, she says, you've got to have a cesarean section. And I said to her, and I she know. knew she knew that's what uh, that you didn't want one, so that's why she was very upset. Yeah, and I was like, I know. Yeah, you it's, saw it coming. Yeah, and I, I was, yeah. and I, it was so clear for me. And you know, in crisis, I'm really good in crisis in that I am able to put things aside and do what's needed. So I was like, okay, we need to do what we need to do. She said, okay, get in the shower. She shaved me. Um, you know, the hair just above the pubic bone because that, that's where they do the incision. So we didn't have to do it in the hospital. Um, she said, okay, let's, you know, get everything that we need um, and let's do this. So, yeah, so we did what was needed, uh, got packed, got in the car, made our way to Park Lane because that was my backup hospital in Johannesburg and um, arrived at about eight o'clock in the morning. It's the only time I've ever been in traffic going to a birth. <laughs> Very funny that was my own. <laughs> Nobody else's ever. And uh, so we arrived and they did a non-stress test, you know, um, checked baby's heartbeat. Baby was fine. Um, you know, did all the necessary things that we needed to. I, 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 because I knew the midwife enough, I could tell that she was, you know, she kept checking in on the child to see if he was fine. Okay. I wasn't going to tell my mom when I was in labor. I was going to just say to, you know, when the baby had arrived, because it's easier that way, less stressful for everyone. But seeing as I was in hospital and I knew I was going to have a cesarean section, I phoned my mom and said, I'd love you to come. So it was lovely that I got to see my mom in labor um, and she got to, you know, see me there before you. I went yeah. in. Yeah, before I went in and I had my one doula friend with me and um and my partner was there and of course the midwife as well um yeah so it was not what i planned i did not want a cesarean section but because i'd worked with this gynae i'd worked with the pediatrician uh, i'd worked with the midwife they all knew me um i was i was able to have a beautiful birth i mean zach's birth was beautiful they dimmed Wonderful. all the lights they dimmed all the lights only the spotlight on my tummy was showing uh was was on um, they couldn't get the music working. So I said, please, I don't want any music. And the, the, <laughs> the, the, the um, pediatrician got the music working. And um, I wanted silence. They were all really quiet and respectful. Um, he came out. They gave me a moment. And I said, okay, now I'm ready. They lifted my head so I could see his head being born. And then they Beautiful. waited. And they took his shoulders out. And they waited. And then they took the rest of his body out. And the part that Zach loves to say is that, and then when I came out, I peed on you. I was like, yes, thank you very much. Then you peed on me. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Um, welcome home. <laughs> welcome home. And then, um, yeah, and then straight away they took him and they gave him to me, skin to skin. So I got skin to skin immediately uh, for a couple of minutes. Then they took him to the resuscitator, checked him that he was all fine. Um, and then again, put him uh, skin to skin on me. Um, so yeah, so it was a lovely birth. The problem is that because I've got such a clean system, because I do natural stuff, etc., the anesthetic, I told them, please don't give me too much. And they gave me too much. So I started so you really felt a bit struggling. Yeah. <laughs> I started not being able to breathe properly. And my arms oh, no. started to go numb. 
And luckily for the yogic breathing, I could really, I was really having to focus on my breath. But I said, guys, uh, really, this is not right. I know I've, I've been at cesareans. I know this is not okay. And they were like, no, it's fine. Don't worry. It's okay. It's okay. And I was like, really, it was really quite stressful. Um, as soon as they'd finished, obviously, stitching all the layers up, they uh, propped me up and they put Zach again in my arms and I couldn't feel couldn't feel my arms you couldn't and feel I, your arms and I said to the midwife please take but him but that's not I, normal that's not normal it's not normal yeah and I said please take him because I, I can't I, I can't feel him I can't feel my arms and luckily with being propped up of course the, the, the it starts draining very quickly which was great so there we go they wheel me into recovery and um, I said you know really I, I can't feel my arms and then the nurse was like don't be silly and she grabbed him and she grabbed my breast and she latched him and she said yeah and I, I put my arm around him and I was like okay <laughs> and he latched he latched immediately and then I could feel the fluid kind of draining and then I was like okay it's okay and I'm gonna survive it's all right um, but it's a very overwhelming feeling it's a very out-of-body experience having a cesarean section because you literally here you are this mother uh, this woman and then oh you're a mother it's it's very yes uh, it's a very out-of-body experience. But you still have the whole process of being in labor and everything. Yes, definitely. Even though you, you had a C-sections. Um, and uh, how did you feel that moment they put your baby in your arms? You know, it's it's a surreal moment. It really is a moment of this child that I'd wanted for so long, this child that I'd prayed for, made space for, um, is actually in my arms. It's it's just incredible, incredible um, feeling. Yeah. yeah, in spite of the doctors telling you you might not be able to have a child. Absolutely. It was a miracle. <laughs> Absolutely, my, definitely. And I always say to him, you are my miracle. Um, yeah. Yeah, how, how was the, the first hours with him what was going through your mind? Yeah, tell us. No, I think it was, it, was very, it was very hard for me because a cesarean was not what I wanted. So I would say I probably cried for the first three weeks on and off because I was mourning yes. the loss of not having that, that physiological birth at home that I'd witnessed so many women go through. Um, you know, and because I was a doula and because people knew I was pregnant and all of that, within the first four days, the first five days, I had to write my birth story. And I had to email it out to my whole database of, you know, over a thousand people at the time um, and tell them this is how I birthed and this is what happened. Because everyone was saying, what happened? And are you okay? And how? why did you have a cesarean? How? What happened? And, right. You yeah. know, all of that and, and everybody looking up to me. Um, so so it was quite overwhelming. And I remember checking my email the next day and I think there were about 80 messages. And I was like, oh, my word. <laughs> I can't. I can't do this. It's just too much. Uh, I mean, I remember. Re I mean, I've still got all of them. I've kept all of them uh, in an archive. Uh, this is this many years later. But it was beautiful how many women said, because I said, it wrote in my story that in that moment of realizing that I needed to have a cesarean section, something that I didn't want, that was Parenting 101. It was, I need to surrender. I need to surrender to what is. And, yes. and so many women said, I remember that moment of, I didn't want a cesarean and I had to surrender or I had to let go, or I had to step, get out of the way, or whatever. And I think that is. So that was your first um, lesson of becoming mother. <laughs> Absolutely, is, is surrender. And you know, it's amazing, because as you go through the smothering journey, and we'll touch on this as we, as we go through the podcast, is that <clears throat> there, are, there have been so many times in my life, and when Zach became a teenager, um, in the last two years. I mean, we're in a good place now, but it's been really challenging. I've been feeling like I'm driving uphill and I've got to still change gears and oh, and there's been really hard times. And then I've had to remind myself, surrender, 
surrender to the process, surrender to this becoming a mother. Because as I'm becoming more of a mother, he's also watching me become a mother. (laughs) Our children watch us. And we we don't think that. We think, well, we're watching them and we're witnessing their lives, but they're witnessing us. And that's having an impact on who they are as well. Yeah, it's a completely different way of uh, seeing parenting. Mm. Uh, It's not us, the parents, teaching them, but it goes both ways, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. And... um, my question now is because, of course, you are a doula and you've witnessed so many births and so many women becoming mothers. How did your own journey um, of becoming mother intertwines with uh, your journey as a doula and supporting mothers becoming yes. mothers? <laughs> you know, it's interesting. And I think because uh, I think it starts with how I was, you know, how I came into the world. And, you know, my mom had, was born with actually two uteruses. And they only discovered this when she was 13 and started menstruating that the one uterus wasn't draining. So when she obviously decided to get married to my father, she didn't think she would actually have children. She wasn't sure if she would with half a uterus. Uh, My dad had had mumps as a teenager, didn't know if he would ever have children of course they made my brother just fine while they were engaged they weren't even married yet big scandal um, you know, in, the ni- in the 1960s and uh, late 1960s and um, yeah so anyway so she because ha- half of the uterus had um, muscle tissue and the other half didn't um, they weren't sure if she would be able to have a natural birth and then my brother was also four kilos and he was breech so she ended up having a cesarean section the old-fashioned way, which is not the uh, horizontal cut that they do just above the pubic bone. It's at actually a vertical incision down the abdominal muscles, which is quite Yeah, that's a big cut. Yeah. yeah, and that's 1968 my brother was born. So that was quite a big, big thing for her. And then my mom had three miscarriages between me and my brother. And they were all boys. And I clearly wanted to be a girl. And I've done, in, in, in my journey of alternative things and spiritual, et cetera, et cetera, I've done breath work and past life regression and all weird and wonderful things. And in my discovery, I discovered that I was those three miscarriages. Um, and I really wanted to be a girl. And so, and, and the, obviously the timing was not right for me to come. So when my mom was pregnant with me, they were living in Zambia at the time. And she chose to come down to South Africa and they actually put a stitch in her cervix. She had done that with the previous two pregnancies as well. And then she was actually... Yeah, so just to explain, what uh, what is it when you get a stitch in your cervix? Okay, so what a stitch is, is they actually put a physical stitch into the cervix so that it doesn't open. Because some women, their cervix has a tendency to open um, and then that's how you miscarry. Um, so, I mean, they don't do it. It's not very common now because we've realized that, you know, some women need more progesterone to hold a pregnancy. Um, sometimes it's a hormonal thing. But, you know, this is almost 50 years ago. So it's, it was a different time then. So yeah. that's what a stitch is. And then obviously if the baby's coming, they need to cut that stitch open to allow the baby to come. Um, so then um, she was also on Valium to keep me because obviously the high anxiety, can you imagine having lost three pregnancies? She said they were all miscarriages, but the one was 24 weeks, which is a stillbirth. It's considered a stillbirth. It's not not a miscarriage. Hmm. And so can you imagine all that trauma, all that anxiety, all that that she was holding in her body while she was pregnant with me? And then if she spotted in the day, she would have a quarter tranquilizer, go lie down. If she spotted at night, she would have a half a tranquilizer and go lie down. So, of course, when I was born, I was only 2.8 kilos compared to 4 kilos of my brother because obviously I didn't grow as well. And I was quite drugged. So I was an elective cesarean, general anesthetic. My mom was not conscious when I was born. Um, and I think that played a role in knowing at a very deep level 
that how women need to be loved, how they need to be supported, how they need to be cared for while they are pregnant, while they are birthing, um, and while they are becoming mothers. Yeah, while um, they so, are particularly vulnerable. Absolutely. This is, yeah. It's a very vulnerable time when, when you are pregnant and giving birth. Absolutely. Mm. Yes. And so you felt you felt that women need to, to, to be supported. And how did you come to become a doula then? So when I, um, I left school, I did various other things. But part of what I then, then stumbled upon is doing aromatherapy and reflexology and going on the healing path. Um, I met, uh, I did a, a course and I met this woman who had had a miscarriage and she was now pregnant. And she said, you know, she would really love me to be there. And I did aromatherapy and reflexology through her pregnancy. And she said, she's planning a home birth. She would really love me to be there. Um, would I be there? And I was like, of course, definitely I'll be there. <laughs> Please keep in mind, I was all of 21 and I had never seen a birth video. I had never been to a birthing class. I had never knew nothing about birth, actually. But I were you were you nervous? No, that's the amazing thing. I was not nervous at all. I was actually so excited for this birth. And anyway, it was about eight o'clock at night. She phoned me and she said, "Look, yeah, she started having some contractions. Whenever I want to come, I'm welcome to come." So I said, "Great." So I arrived at her house at about nine, a little after nine o'clock. And now that I know what a laboring woman looks like, she was laboring so beautifully. She was inward. Her eyes were closed. She was connected with her breathing. Uh, it was so beautiful to witness. Her husband was setting up the pool and filling the pool. And then he was like, I'm going to go get pizza. And off he went in the car to go get pizza. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it was at the, her first baby. It was her first baby, yeah. And was it at the time, was it common to have home birth in South Africa? I don't know if it was common, but it, it it was available if you sought it out. Interesting. Yes. So there were a couple of midwives that were doing it, yes. Yeah, so I imagine not that many. No, no, not that many. Yeah. How did you handle it, the whole process? Well, I, I just, I was, I was using my essential oils and I was rubbing her feet when I could and I was massaging her when I could. Yeah, I was just, and it really came quite intuitively um, that I was able to to do this, um, and I was really excited about this process. Um, the midwives arrived a little bit after midnight, and they'd come from another birth, and when they arrived, they went to listen to the heartbeat, and they couldn't find the heartbeat. Oh, no. And then they were like, okay, well, maybe it's just the surge. Let's wait. Let's try a different position. Let's. There was no heartbeat. And I mean, this is not a story that I tell people who have not had a baby before because, yes. you know, I um, feel like it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's not something you tell. But as this pop, being part of this podcast and the story, it's so important for people to know and to hear. And so the midwives realized that, okay, this baby is no longer, this baby has died in utero for whatever reason. And they needed to do a very large episiotomy because the cranial bones in a baby mold, the four bones fold over each other to make the head smaller to come through the birth canal. And of course, this baby had now died in utero and the bones were not molding. So my first birth, there I am witnessing a very large episiotomy <gasps> and they had, she had to push this baby out. And of course, as soon as this baby was out, I mean, she was a beautiful girl with this mop of black hair and um, yeah, she was absolutely gorgeous. She was 3.8 kilos, beautiful size. Um, you know, the midwives did have oxygen and suction, so they had everything available and they tried They tried, but you could tell by when she arrived, she was already gone. She had gone okay. at some point in the in the labor in the last few hours. She had 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 left. Oh wow, Tony, what a story! It was really it was really hard, and you know that's why I know 
like whatever you believe or not, like I've come with knowledge from before. Like I've, like I knew how to handle this. I, I said, let's take a lock of hair. Uh, we took photos, um, all of this. And they had to take the baby away because they needed to do an autopsy and find out why. But the beautiful thing is these midwives waited. I mean, I think it was only probably three o'clock in the morning that they actually left. So, I mean, we spent hours um, holding, talking, taking photos, all of that. It was, it was really, it was hard. I mean, the dad was broken. The, the her yeah, husband I was can't, I can't broken. imagine. Yeah, he I was can't absolutely... Imagine. Um, anyway, they took the baby and then obviously I went home. I came back the very next day and I was doing, um, already with my essential oils, I had my lavender and my tea tree and I was putting them neat on her stitches to help them heal and making her things to do sitz baths and everything. And in this process of her having to heal from having lost a child, I was, I was counseling her. I was helping her. I was counseling the dad. I, I then met with the midwives and I ended up at 21. I was counseling the midwives. A go figure. I mean, really? <laughs> like, it's amazing. Even the midwife was very affected. Uh, yeah, I the imagine. midwives were, they were devastated. Um, yeah. So obviously we don't know what happened. We know that two weeks prior to her due date, to the baby arriving, she got very itchy. And they thought it was, you know, it could be, you know, all sorts of things. But what we realized is she got pregnant again after that baby and she started again with this itching. And what we realized is once they did tests and discovered that the pregnancy, her body starts rejecting the pregnancy at a certain point and the liver oh, wow. reacts. So of course, as soon as she started itching, she went and she had an elective cesarean section. Okay. So at how many weeks does she, did she start having 30, those? 38 uh, weeks. 38 weeks. Okay, so quite late in the pregnancy, her body starts yeah. to have erection. But um, that, yeah, that's a very tragic story. But I don't, I'm thinking we shouldn't scare our audience about ho home birth. I imagine that out of all the home births you've seen, this doesn't happen often, right? This is the only birth I've ever been at. Touch wood, it's the only baby I've ever witnessed, lost. Yes. What is that as a doula? I know, right? And that you carried yes. on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then, yeah, so then you, what happened that you decided this is what I, I meant to, to do? You know, I, because I, 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 I then decided that, you know, this is something that I really loved. I mean, it was an amazing experience. And a friend of mine then was pregnant. And she said, would I be there? And I said, sure. So I was there when her daughter was born. And her daughter had a daughter in 2020. So I'm like a doula granny already. Because I helped <laughs> her in, in lockdown over the phone, because she was in Cape Town, to help birth her baby. So, oh, how beautiful. So I, I know. It's amazing. So I helped That's her. Amazing. And then, then when my niece was born, I was there with my sister-in-law, and I helped her through her process. Um, and so I just was helping people not knowing actually that what a doula was. I just was doing it. And then I, a couple of years later, actually did a doula training. It was the first doula training in South Africa. And someone said, oh, go see this midwife. She's doing a doula training. I said, well, what's a doula? And she handed me the pamphlet. And I looked at the pamphlet and I said, oh, this is what I've been doing. And I nagged, <laughs> no, I mean, I nagged this midwife for a year. I I'm, I'm definitely have a lot of determination and perseverance. And I nagged her. I said, we've got to do this. We've got to do this. We've got to. And eventually we got eight women together. And it was the first doula training in South Africa that we did. Yeah. And, and at, at uh, that time, I think people didn't really know what a doula was, right? No, no, no. I mean, now, now it's more common. Obviously, people know more and more. I mean, there's still some people who go, a what? It's, it's a what? Um, but people more and more know what, what doulas are and what they do. And, uh, so you yeah, were so already a doula without knowing. Yeah, I was already a doula. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah so it so kind of did, like, fell on you, basically. It really did. It found me. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why, mm -hmm. that's why it is a calling. Uh, you know, be, to become a doula, to become a midwife, it's a calling. It's not a, oh, I want to do that. That sounds interesting. It's, it's something that calls you. 
Um, so I worked with many midwives, many doulas, uh, many doulas as well, many uh, gyne gynecologists over the years. Yeah, and it's been amazing. Uh, and no two births have ever been the same. Every birth is different. Every birth unfolds differently. Um, it's been it's been an amazing, amazing experience. And um, what um, what do, would you say you learned from all your years of uh, being a doula to other mothers? What are the big things that change who you are today as a person and as a mother yourself? Um, I think, you know, if we're talking about birthing, it's really to leave it alone and let it happen. Let it unfold. Let it unfold the way it needs to, rather than um, interfere with it, is to really just allow it to unfold. And I guess that's the same for parenting. It's, it's you know, at, right. <laughs> You know, don't interfere with the process. Don't and and so often we have our own agenda or our own that no, it has to be like this or it should be like that. And actually, if we can just trust the process, trust the unfolding of you as a mother, trust the unfolding of the process of labor. Um, yeah, even if it's not what we think it is, it's really about trust. Yeah, trust, as you say, surrender, letting yeah. go. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think in uh, in our society today, everything is so quick. We want instant gratification. And interestingly, um, when you give birth, it's one of the things that you can't control. And yeah. I, I love that about, about birth because it's so mysterious. You know, we we can't predict anything about how a baby comes to this world. Although we, I think, and and then we we can talk more about it uh, in the podcast. But I think every time that we try to interfere with the birth, things unfold in a an unnatural manner. Absolutely. But if you let things go. Um, as they should be, then it's, it's very different, a very different outcome. Yeah, absolutely. And what is it that you love the most about being a mother? Sure. I think it's that the thing I love most about being a mother is that I feel like I am making a difference to the world with this human being with how I'm raising him, how I'm showing him, how he's growing and developing. I mean, for, for, all, for all purposes, you know, he's a man. You know, 200 years yeah. ago, he'd be sailing the seas looking for a wife, you know. <laughs> um, so I think that has been an amazing thing, is to know that I, am, I have made a difference in a way of how I've raised him, how he looks at the world, how he sees things. Um, that would have been different if I was a different person. Um, yeah. Right. And what is it, uh, um, you said that your biggest lesson has been starting with having to surrender with the, the type of birth you, you had when you had Zach. Um, and what is it that uh, you've, you've learned um, as a doula How did it shape the person you are? Sure, I don't know. You know, it's it's just so so a part of of who I am. Um, you know, the last birth I was at, I was I was getting ready, and it was during the day, and I was getting or packing, making sure I had everything packed, and I was, and then I started like doing a little dance, and I was like, oh, and Zach, because usually it's in the middle of the night, you know, when I leave, and my son said to me, Mom. Are you excited? Like, looking at me, so puzzled. Are you excited? I said, of course I'm excited. He said, why? I said, because I am going to be able to sit with a couple and help them, guide them, and they are bringing a whole new soul into this world that has never been here before in this body. 
no matter what you believe. Like there's a new soul coming. And how beautiful is that, that I get to witness that and I get to be a part of this person arriving on the planet. And he looked at me and he was like, okay, because I'd never expressed that to him. So it's a, it's yeah, beautiful to unfold, yeah. Yeah, and I guess he was probably surprised also knowing that you've been to so many births and that yes. you still felt this excitement. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and that's why you do what you do. Yes. As long as you feel excited for each birth means that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Absolutely. And then mm. I think that goes for life. Eh? You've got to be loving what you do. Um, because if you're not loving what you do, then really I, I don't feel like there's really any point. Um, yeah. Got to love what you do. Yes, definitely. Yeah, and I think I want to ask you, what is it that um, you want to share that you wish you had known uh, before becoming a mother? You know, it's, it's hard to say because probably people told me, but I, I didn't, you don't get it. When you're pregnant, you don't get, you know, people say to you, oh, bank your sleep. You can't bank your sleep. Okay. That's the way it is. You can't, you just got to learn to live with it. I would, I would, would have wished someone had told me, and I also wish this for my, my clients and the people listening is that it really is short. Pregnancy is short. Birth, even if you're in labor for 24 hours, it's really short. When you've got a little person that's breastfeeding or a lap baby, or even if they're then crawling, it's short. It is so quick. It goes by in a flash. And as much as possible is to be present. Be present with the discomfort. Be present with the joy. Be present with everything that is going on. Um, because it is so fast. Uh, and I didn't, now that my son is almost 15, I'm realizing it was really fast. Really fast. Yes. And yes, when you've got this new little baby and you, they're wanting to feed every flippant two hours, and you sleep deprived, and you just think, oh my word, can't you just be big and be able to walk and talk and, and feed yourself by now? That's what you wish for uh, in that moment, but it's you want to really savor it uh, yes. because it really does go very fast. And, you know, we always celebrate the first, you know, the first time you breastfeed and the first tooth and the first time they walk and the first time they laugh and the, all of that, but we forget about the lasts. You know, the last time you breastfeed, I, we did a ritual. My son and I picked flowers in his godmother's garden and we had a lovely bath together and I explained that this was going to be the last breastfeed and that it was going to be finished and we made a beautiful ritual out of it to, to know that it was now the end. Yeah, and that's true. But, I love that, to celebrate the last. Yeah, but I didn't, to, I um, don't remember um, the last time that I lay with him to let him fall asleep. But then one day it was like, okay, good night, mom. And I was like, oh, he doesn't <laughs> lie with him. And I lay with him for five years, the first five years of his life. Read him a story and lay yeah, with him until he fell asleep. <laughs> and I guess because we, we don't always know when is the last, right? So, yeah, I love that. I love that um, you said to be fully present. Is actually the best present you can give uh, as a mother. Because li life goes fast eh, with these little ones. And, and even now with my son, you know, I make sure that I let him know. Like today, I said to him, dude, today I've got a busy day. I'm not going <laughs> to really, really see you. I'm really busy. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of things happening. But tomorrow, we're going to have time to do this. Or on the weekend, we're going to do this. So... And so as long as I think they know, um, and I think he knows how passionate I am about my life and wanting to make a difference and to help people, that he understands that that's really important to me. And if I'm happy, that means he's happy. So we know. Yes. And if he's happy, that means I'm happy. <laughs> and that's the most important thing. So do what, do what, yeah, 
Do what makes you happy. What, do what makes you happy. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's um, a good note to end this episode. Love it. <laughs> I love it. Thank love you, Tony, for sharing your story. Um, I've learned a lot about you uh, today, especially about your birth story. Um, this is something that uh, we haven't talked ab about before. And uh, it's really, wow, I'm speechless because it's so un unexpected uh, coming from you and knowing, you know, who you are and how how strongly you believe in uh, home birth and everything. And you've been so challenged, I think, in, in your journey. Um, and the fact that, you know, you did become a mother and that you are a doula, uh, it's quite, uh, quite a journey for you to, to get there. And, um, and I love that um, what you've learned is really about trusting but trusting, surrender, and fully be present. So thank you, Tony, for sharing your story with us today. Wow, what a story. Uh, thank you so much, Tony, for sharing your story. Um, as expected, I feel very inspired uh, to hear how yourself, you went through uh, so many hurdles and overcame um, to, be, to become a mother. Uh, so I'm, I'm wondering, after listening to this episode, um, how do you think your son would react uh, if he was uh, listening to you now? You know, being the teenager that he is now, um, I, I think he'll just be grateful that I, I left out the parts that he's he's not quite ready, well, that he's integrating himself into his own being. Um, so I think he'll be grateful um, about that. Yeah, that's completely understandable, especially at his age now. Um, you don't necessarily want to share everything about um, your birth um, and how you came to being with the whole world. So um, I I respect that um, you respected his uh, own privacy. I think it's uh, our role as parents Absolutely. as well. I also think I'm, I'm really grateful to have been able to tell my story um, for for my clients and for people who don't know me um, because it is, it is a unique story like all birth stories are. Um, but also that people realize that, you know, you can overcome difficulties or things that you th think you can't overcome that you can. Um, so I'm really grateful to yeah, inspire others with my story. That's wonderful, uh, and I, I hope that um, our listeners uh, today enjoyed listening to your story as much as I did, um, because I've learned a lot uh, from you, as uh, always. Uh, so thank you so much for tuning in today and for listening to um, the first episode of the Becoming Mother podcast. Please share the love and uh, share this episode with whomever you think uh, would enjoy this. And uh, you can follow us on social media. Um, Theoni, how do people get in touch with you if um, they want to reach out? Um, so they can definitely find me on my website, which is theonipaputsis.co.za. Um, and then on Instagram, it's just the other way around, um, at paputsistheoni. Um, and then I am on Facebook as well. Also my name. Perfect. Yes, and so just a reminder that our next episode, I am going to be interviewing Deborah and Marcus, which is so lovely. And that's the reason why we're all here is because of them. They were um, talking about their birth story at one of my hypnobirthing classes. And I said, oh, we should really do a podcast. All people need to hear this beautiful story. Um, and yeah, I just hope that the audience laughs as much as I did. And Marcus, for you, I mean, I mean, I know you aren't the person carrying the baby, but for you, what what did you need to get your head around when when you guys were pregnant? I mean, was there anything that you felt you needed to think about or prepare or? <laughs> um, yeah, when I was a little bit younger, so in my early thirties, I tested the idea of if I wanted to have children or not. Um, so 
what I did was I envisioned living a life without children for about a month or so and just viewed life from that perspective. And then I changed this perspective and said, okay, well, I'm definitely having children. And I viewed life like that for a month. Um, and you gain some insights. You observe things that you generally wouldn't observe. And it was quite clear that I did want to have children, um, but more specifically that it needed to be the right person. That So I, back to the question, which was how much preparation I had to do. Um, I was quite prepared and uh, I did want to have children and I wanted to have children with Debo. So I was quite happy with it and with the situation we were in. Wonderful. Thank you for listening to the Becoming Mother podcast. We hope you felt inspired, touched, and that you learned something. Feel free to share the love and share this episode with your sisters, your mothers, and your friends.